What's up? Welcome to another episode of Beyond the DMs here on 520 Collective. As always, we are being sponsored by 520collective.com. If you want the latest and greatest in independent Christian hip-hop, make sure you check out www.520collective.com. It is your home for NDCHH. Uh, as always, guys, I am Eric Boston. You can catch me on social medias on Twitter and on Parlor at Eric Boston Three. That's at Eric Boston and the number three. And beyond the DMs is my excuse sometimes to just talk with people that I think are pretty cool. Or um, you know, maybe in this case, we'll say the guy who's joining me is ill. You know, you, you, you can say that he's <laughs> ill. Um, you know, he's he's got. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't go. I don't think you're going too far if you say he's the best rapper in Hawaii because he's got the hardware to support it. I think at this point, so you know, it, it's, it's my dude, Thomas Iannucci, jumping on beyond the DMs. What's up, man? Yo, you are too kind, bro. Uh, I really appreciate that. Definitely not the best rapper in Hawaii. Well, um, but I mean, you got a long shot. But you got two awards <laughs> that say otherwise, right? So. Oh. You know, you would be surprised at sometimes the backlash <laughs> that when you win those sort of things, I'm not going to get into that, but, but right. I am very, very blessed. For sure. I'm <laughs> definitely blessed. I'm so happy to be here. Um, it's been a minute, man, since we did something like this, so this is pretty cool, and I'm, I'm very grateful for you to have me. For sure, man. For sure. Yeah. Con- congratulations again, man. For those who don't know, Thomas uh, won his second award for Hip Hop Album of the Year. Um, I just keep referring to him as the Hawaiian Grammys because I know I can't say the words right. So maybe, maybe you <laughs> can Hoku, it, Sure. Uh, it is the Hawaiian Grammy, so that's fine. Um, but it, it, the official name is the Nahoku Hano Hano Award um, for, for best. Uh, Hip hop album of the year, so yeah, that was for my album Kuliana, uh, produced by Jay Crum, another talented individual in our space. So really blessed by that. Well, and it's super cool, man, seeing um, guys that are putting out music in this Christian hip hop sphere, right? Like getting attention, getting that kind of recognition for work because it doesn't come easy for artists around these parts, you know. Right, right, bro. I mean, it's just, I mean, it is what we sign up for. You know, it is, it is, uh, it, it's for the love, but it's also definitely hard work. I'm not going to lie to you, man. Yeah, man, that's what's up. Well, so, uh, whenever, on, on the, the night that you kind of won your second award there, second hip-hop album of the year, you were like, well, I guess it's a good time to announce I've got a new album coming as well, right? Yeah, um, yes. I mean, if you had to announce it, seems as good a time as any. Right, right. So you got the new album coming in December. Um, yes, sir. Doubting seems Thomas. To be a tradition of mine. This will be mm-hmm, the fourth album to come out, or fourth project, third album, fourth, fourth project overall to come out in December. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. And, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. And what's cool about it is, um, you're saying this is the third album in a trilogy, and we're gonna dive into that, man. We're gonna find out, you know, you know, kind of what into what went into, you know, constructing this trilogy, and talk about those first two albums in it, because 
um, I think maybe people know about that second one because it really kind of started getting you some attention. Um, and it was the first album that won you a Hip Hop Album of the Year award with the Hawaiian Grammys. But then maybe that first album in the in the trilogy, maybe not quite as known, right? So we want to let people know about it as we're preparing for this new album. So Yes, yes. It's definitely a deep cut for the hardcore fan. Um, yeah, so... I'm excited to get into all of that. It's yeah, going to be fun, I think. And, and a lot has happened between um, the start of this trilogy and, and here you wrapping it up. I mean, and one of the biggest things there that I know we've talked about in the past, I mean, you, that second album, uh, you were using a different name at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, uh, for the first EP, you know, the first installment, and then for the for the album, is the second in the trilogy, um, it was all under the name Italian, and um, I I haven't been for about ten years, bro. You know, it's funny to think about now, um, but for like ten years, I was just going under the name Italian. So, uh, you know, it it was an interesting ride. Um, and after the conclusion, right when I uh, I was blessed to win the Hoku for the first time. Um, I felt that I had sort of fulfilled all the goals that I could as Italian, and that's when I started the transition. And, and you know, it's super funny, actually. Um, in in our own little sphere, it cro- it caused enough uh, interest that if you look up um, Italian, uh, not on Google because, of course, that's the biggest um, search engine, but. As far as like it, other random search engines, even like on YouTube, I think and stuff, Italian is quitting is like the first result. It was very interesting, um, and because I had done a whole thing where I'm gonna change my name. Oh no, I'm quitting! Surprise! It was just a name change, kind of the, <laughs> the ultimate troll. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, no, we were we got to be a part of that. If I'm not mistaken, uh, I think we had a little article up on Five Twenty Collective. That's right, which I appreciate. I appreciate the support. <laughs> but I mean, like you back. said, though, you, you had the name for a decade. Um, I'm sure that's not an easy step. Even whenever you're sure that that's the move you need to make, I'm sure it's not an easy one to follow through with, man. Like, um, What just kind of confirmed that for you as far as, like, this is what I need to do? Sure. So it was a lot of things. First of all, you know, well, actually, let's, let's take it back to, first of all, you have to understand where the name came from, right? So the name came from, and it's a funny story, um, but I actually started rapping under my real name. So it took 10 years for that cycle to come full circle and me to get back to this. This is Thomas Ainucci. Uh But initially, I was rapping under my real name, and... Okay, how can I... So I'm mixed race, right? I'm Italian, Filipino, a bunch of stuff, but those are the primary ones. Um, but I look white. And in Hawaii, you know, and especially in hip hop, you know, the white rapper thing, it can really, if you don't, and again, this was, this was, this is probably 13 years ago. Okay. Something like that. Like 13 years ago, something like that, and so it was a different era, you know. Um, it was still a little bit more like the eight mile 
you know, kind of thing where, like, if you're the only guy who's a white rapper, even though I wasn't white, but compared to all, like, you know, the Asian and, and Hawaiian rappers, I looked white, right? That could really count against you. And particularly, I did a lot of battles when I first started because that was kind of what was available in terms of the scene at the time. And I was all right. But even, like, like freestyles and that sort of thing, but that was something that people could punk you out with right away. Like, oh, white rapper, holly rapper, whatever. So I needed something really fast and clever that I could respond back to that and say, you know, to get it over. Because I didn't want to get stuck as like, oh, Eminem or Vanilla Ice. You know, I, I had to stand on my own. And so I found that a real easy, clever way, because I ad-libbed it one day and it went well, was to say, you know, I'm not white, I'm Italian. And then people would be like, oh, oh, God, this is crazy. Yo, this is that Italian kid, you know. And, and it went over well a couple of times. And I was like, you know, I, I should really, uh, um, I should really run with this. And so I did. It was a natural fit, you know, at the time. And, and I had a lot of success with it. I'm very blessed. I, I, I won that first Hoku. I won a couple other awards, you know, the finalist in the hip hop category of the, I think it was a 2016. National John Lennon Songwriting Competition, which is a very prestigious national songwriting competition, um, you know, and some things like that, and uh, and it was cool. But <clears throat> a big thing, honestly, man, a big thing that happened. Well, it was a few things. So first of all, I had already been kind of wrestling with the idea of whether or not a name was necessary anymore, like a stage name. I grew up on guys like, you know, Eminem, Fifty Cent, Dr. Dre. It's not their real names. That was very common from where I came out, you know, um, to have a rap name. But as time went on, you start to see more guys like Kendrick Lamar or even J. Cole, right, where, where it's their own name. And it was becoming more and more acceptable. So <clears throat> I was already kind of feeling like maybe I could just go with my real name. Um, because I, I had found that I was kind of... I was kind of hiding behind the Italian moniker a little bit because it was like, okay, if I want to just not deal with something in my music, uh, I could just say, well, that's a, that's common, you know, but, but Italian does this, you know what I mean? Um, and I, it felt like kind of a convenient way to be, I don't want to say necessarily dishonest, but to not be totally transparent. And, and if you're going to make it in this genre and you're not doing like, like pop kind of stuff, you know, but if you're trying to be a lyricist and you're trying to be um, like an MC, you, you have to be authentic because people can smell a fake a mile away. And I didn't feel authentic. And if you don't feel like you're authentic, it shows um, in your performances and that kind of stuff. And so I was already kind of struggling with this. Uh, and then I won. So I won the Nahoku Hanohano Award for Best Hip-Hop Album. It was the best album that year in the state of Hawaii. And my name was Italian. Italian, best Hawaii rap album. They don't really connect. <laughs> they don't really, it that doesn't sound right, you know. And until that point, I was, you know, I was just a kid. You know, Makana, that album, right, that won the whole group, that was the one that kind of put me on a bigger stage. That was the one that got me more noticed. That was the album that I, I, I got on Rapzilla with, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
and I got this name Italian, and I felt like it wasn't a good representation of myself anymore because I, I wasn't a kid anymore, and it wasn't necessarily a good representation for Hawaii. And I was like, oh, suddenly this is very real. Suddenly I actually have fans. <laughs> I actually, you know, I'm representing something. And so now I need to maybe take this a little more serious. I, I, I won a couple of awards. I, I, I did some cool things with this name. I think it's time to grow up a little bit and set that aside. And I'm very glad I did. But at the time, I was very uncertain. Because a lot of people did like that Italian name. They were used to it. It's been 10 years of me rapping like that. And when I kind of sounded people out, a lot of people were like, I don't know, man, I think it's dope. You could just stick with that. You know? So it wasn't clear that it was going to go well. Uh, it wasn't clear. Because the other thing, too, is that you have to remember, I had won this big award and it was televised throughout the state as Italian. And then I'm going to change my name. And nobody knows on a state level who Thomas Ainuti is. Right? So you're going to take all that momentum and blow it. So it was a big, it was a big gamble, but by the grace of God, it, it turned out for the best. Yeah, man. Well, and then another thing that I've always thought is interesting for your story, man, is not only do you have that aspect of it, but whenever you just sit back and really look at just the fact that you're a rapper coming out of Hawaii, right? I mean, Hawaii is not the, the hotbed of hip hop that, you know, it's not one of the first ones that come to mind. Sure, by sure, stretch, sure. Right? For um, sure. I understand completely. E even in even in the mainstream, right? Like, I mean, I feel like I know more... Um, I feel like I know more Christian hip-hop artists out of Hawaii than I do any mainstream ones. I mean, th that's a totally different challenge for you, man, right? Like, like explain that a little bit. How how'd that factor into what you were doing and, and how it impacted just the trilogy, just coming out of, you know, sure, the sure, islands. Sure. sure. So, I mean, it's, it's funny how that works. I originally, and you can tell, you can tell from like the first part. If you go back and listen to Sleepless Night, which is also called Not Being Sunny, there's no references to Hawaii whatsoever. Because I was making music pretty much only for people in Hawaii. So ironically, you don't really necessarily need to represent that hard if you're only making it in a small space because everyone has that cultural context already, right? So I don't need to, I don't know. We see how I got into it on Kuleana about how I'm kind of outlining like, you know, what it's actually like in Hawaii. I don't need to do that if my only audience is people in Hawaii because we all have that contact. So that first project in particular was very inwardly focused. And I was just trying to, I was just trying to tackle what I felt. Like, that's just where I was at, you know, in my artistic and skill level. I was just trying to tackle the things that I was feeling and putting them, you know, on paper and then in the booth and then trying to get other people to kind of hear that, you know. And then, so you go to the next one, Makata. And that was the first time there's a bit of a, a start, a little bit of a tiny bit of a flavor of Hawaii um, because I had gotten a tiny little bit of success outside of there. And now it's like, okay, I can represent this a little bit more. Um, but when I won the Hoku, that's when it was like, whoa, 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 okay, okay. Uh, I'm making a freshman list. I'm, I'm, I'm winning the Hoku. I'm, I'm starting to get a lot of fans out of Hawaii. And what I realized is that there are a lot of people... Um, 
outside of Hawaii who have surprisingly strong opinions about what they think Hawaii is like, right? And so that was because if, again, if you're from whatever state, Missouri, Texas, New York, whatever, if you're from there, you have the context. All the people around you have that context, but other people have ideas about what Missouri or what New York or whatever it might be like, right? And so for the first time, I realized I realized what that was like. For Hawaii, was a lot of you know stereotypes and that sort of thing, um, and so I, I really started kind of going about trying to correct those if I could, and, and just kind of change the way that I represented um, myself and, and the images I depicted in my music and in my marketing and that sort of thing. Um, when you get to the Christian hip hop side, it was very interesting because, first of all, before I before I did even this trilogy or anything like that. I was making mixtapes at home, you know, they were very bad, <laughs> but necessary to grow, you know, um, and, and I had never intended to be a, a, a member of CHH or Christian rap. I didn't necessarily know per se what that was at the beginning, um, because in Hawaii, the scene is, is very vibrant, but it's not huge. So if you're a rapper, you're in the community. They don't really distinguish, right? Um, but as I started to branch out a little bit more and, and discover these artists and I discovered this world of, of Christian hip-hop and Rapzilla and that sort of thing, and I was like, dang, this is pretty cool because in my experience, a lot of times, I had, you know, been into rock and a lot of that stuff when I was young, and a lot of times, and it's not always the case, but particularly at this time in like the, you know, late 2000s and the early 2010s or whatever, um, a lot of Christian music can be cheesy sometimes. So I had been initially hesitant about whether or not there could be like dope Christian rap. There was stuff that I listened to when I was young, like Toby Mac, John Rubin, uh, Soldiers, but Soldiers had broken up. You know what I mean? Toby Mac by this point was going full on into like pop. John Rubin wasn't really doing anything. So I, I didn't know. But then I started listening to guys like KJ52, Lecrae, Grit, um, and that was kind of my gateway. And I was like, "Whoa, these guys are dope!" Like, maybe, I, maybe, I, maybe I could be kind of associated with this at a level of excellence that I would be comfortable striving towards. You know what I mean? And and as I started to get more into it, and I see guys like Flame and Beautiful Eulogy, you know, and the whole One One Six Click, and and all these guys, I'm like, "Whoa." Um, Jacob Washington solo music, you know. Um, I was like, dang, these guys are crazy dope. How can I do what they're doing in my own way? And so you see that happen uh, on the first project, Sleepless Nights, where I was like, okay, I'm going to talk about how I feel, but I'm going to be super open about my faith. And if you were to, and you do not have to, <laughs> But if you were to hunt down my old mixtapes, you'll find that my music back then in the first years of me rapping was maybe not so open about my faith. Um, and as I got older um, and I saw that these dope rappers who I looked up to and admired could be so open about, you know, Jesus and their struggles with their faith, it wasn't all just perfect. You know, um, I felt more bold that I could open up about my issues and my faith. And that has been a recurring theme 
throughout all my music ever since. Um, you can see in a song like, uh, you know, Pride, right? Where this is on the first track or on the first project and the second project because it was my most popular one. But where I'm, I'm talking about the real hateful, ugly side of Pride and, and, and myself and, and, um, how at the end of the day, Jesus is the only way to get me through that. But it, but it is a difficult, you know, uh, trying to reconcile these two sides. You know what I mean? It's not clean. It's not neat. It's not easy. Um, but it's real. And that's always the kind of faith that I've been attracted to. Um, and so seeing guys like Lecrae, who's been, you know, very open with his struggles with his faith as time goes on, even though he gets torn up sometimes for being open about, you know, those struggles, that sort of thing. That is what kind of really attracted me to the subgenre and, and, you know, this idea that I wasn't the only person wrestling with these issues and that I could also reflect that in my music and not be just like maligned or shunned or anything like that, but actually potentially embraced, um, had a huge impact. So those would be the two sides, you know, the, the Hawaii side and the Christian hip hop side, you know, and how that kind of influenced uh, the whole project. Uh, or the whole first two projects and in fact if you go to this final CHH trilogy you know this final project with Doubting Thomas it's it's it is the culmination of that because it's very much a thing of of you know it's called Doubting Thomas right it's a reference to St. Thomas the Doubter but it's also a play on words of myself struggling with doubt it's you know mental health you know what I mean? Like, like, can I be honest about the ups and downs of my life, the ups and downs of my faith, and how they reconcile on a project? While the first two projects tackled a lot of that, this final project is about that. That is the whole theme, you know? So it's kind of cool if you were to listen from beginning to middle to end to see how something that started as, like, you know, kind of just a thought in my head blossomed into an entire concept album about that. Yeah, man, for sure. Dude, you got me going back, man. You got me going back like uh, <laughs> John Rubin, man. Like one of my favorite Bro. artists ever, dude. Um, Bro, I know. So good to see it's him drop so new dope. music this year, man. I know, man. It That was great because, I mean, my dad had me bumping. Do not tell me what I can, I can I do when I write original material. My groove can't stop. You know, back in like the 90s, I think. Um, I, I forget when it came out, but I was young and I, I, I haven't even listened to that song in years, but I haven't memorized for like two decades because of how dope it was. <laughs> and, and, and this may be totally off topic, but it's my podcast so we can do whatever we want with it. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do I ever tell you my John Rubin story, man? No, 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 please. Okay. So I've actually been on stage with Rubin a couple of times, man, back whenever I was younger. Um, whenever I thought that maybe I could be a rapper, but I probably couldn't, you know? Um, but yeah, so I, w- I won't tell you all of it, but anyway, I got to know, I got to know John a little bit, um, and, and got to know DJ Manuel, who's, you know, one of the sickest DJs I've ever seen, you know? Um, and Whoa, that's so dope. Right, right, right. So the, here's, here's the, the, the story that I'll tell you is that they were on tour with five iron frenzy during five iron frenzy's farewell tour right and they were playing oh wow yeah yeah so i was in college at the time and one of my 
good friends there. They were playing at his church back in Tulsa. So we were like, we're going, you know, and it was John Rubin, Five Iron Frenzy, Ace Troubleshooter, Reliant K, right? And so... Oh, dude, that's my favorite. Right? Um, and so we we um, get there early and we start... Because this is a big church, right? So we're like... We're gonna we're gonna walk around since he's a, a member there and stuff. We're like we're gonna find like the green room, right? And so I've got a CD that me and this other dude had been making some music. I've got it with me and stuff. And we um so we find the 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 door to it. It's got like a little window in it. We knock on it. Manuel recognizes me, so he brings us in. And um no way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So John was talking to some other guys at the time. Well, so Manuel was part of a group called Bus One with this dude Alon, who's on the new John Rubin record a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. And so Alon though wasn't there. Like he was typically the hype man for John Rubin, right? And um, Alon was there. So I met who at the time was named Othello, which you now know as Jose Moore. He was the no hype man way. for that tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what? so we're sitting there, we're talking to Jose Moore, and we're talking to Manuel. And I'm like, well, hey, I've got this uh, CD with some some songs that me and this dude back home have been doing and stuff. And they're like, let's check it out. And so they put it on. They've got like a little disc, little discman with them, and like the two of them are sharing like some headphones and stuff. And they're listening to it. And uh, Manuel turns around and he, he interrupts John. He's like, John, John, come listen to this. And so he puts no it in. Way, and dude. Yeah, he's he's listening to it and John's like, "Hey, you want to come and do do not with me at the end of the set?" And I'm like, "Yeah, let's do it." <laughs> you know? Um Are you serious? Yeah, man. So uh, Oh my god. So it was funny like they get you know, we're out there, we're just part of the crowd for his set, you know, we're enjoying it. We get to the end and I start moving over to the side. I go to try to get up there. It's the kind of like quote unquote security is trying to stop me. And they're like, no, no, let him up, let him up, you know? Um, <laughs> and so get up there, Manuel gives me his mic. We have a, a good time with it. It's fun. You know, it's like my five oh, seconds dude. of fame or whatever. Um, wow. You know, it, it was, it, it's crazy, man. Like we, we get done, you know, that it, it, there was a curtain. So curtain went down. We're kind of walking off the stage, talking a little bit. I see like this blur of white go by me. I'm like, what the heck was that? And it was like, this was before Reliant K got really big, but they were still pretty popular at that point, you know? Um, but, like, the, the dudes are crazy, man. Like, they lifted the curtain, and the guys had, like, bed sheets on, running around the stage acting like they're ghosts <laughs> and stuff. It, it, it's so weird. But then I went, and the rest of the night, I sat at the merch table with Jose Moore, just helping sell John's stuff. And, dude, like, people asking me to sign stuff, I'm like, I'm nobody get get him to sign something you know <laughs> so no i mean some, some really cool stuff with john rubin man so shout out to him for sure oh, for sure dude, that's so cool man right dude i, yeah. I, I don't get to that's tell i don't get to tell story. stories very often on here man it's kind of different so well man next time i'm gonna interview you on this podcast <laughs> no that's what's up man <laughs> let's do it let's do it yeah, so that's dope right yeah man but so anyway um we're gonna jump back into it for those of you who maybe you know forgot. I don't know why you would, but you know, on the five twenty collective phone line with me is Thomas Iannucci. We are talking about his trilogy of CHH albums that's uh, coming to an end here in December with the third installment on it. Uh, make sure you guys check out the new 
and the leveledup520collective.com. We're going to have some cool coverage, I'm Woo! sure, of the new project hitting on there. So check that out. Um, yeah, man, so, so let's talk about the first two projects, man. Well, obviously, I guess we'll start the first one, Sleepless Nights, right? Like, what do people need to know about that? Because that's probably the lesser known of the two. For sure. For sure. That is my, you know, least known project, rightfully so. Um, I eventually took it down and, and cleaned it up and re-released it so you can hear a slightly better version of it. Um, but for whatever reason, it's, it's listed as a 2020 release instead of a, its original release date. It was 2014. So be gentle. That's me from six years previously. Um, it was my first studio EP. Uh, I'd done a few mixtapes, um, you know, from home kind of deal. Um, I'd done a few projects, you know, from home. And uh, I, I think I started working on it um, 2012. It took me like two and a half years to do because I had just moved to college. Um, I, I moved away after a couple of years at community college. And so I would work on like, I mean, I don't remember. Basically, it was like I would I would do schoolwork during the semesters and, and summers and winters. I would record and I would write music and, and, and do that kind of stuff. So it took a while. Um, it it sounds you know not as great now, um, but I still think it's decent. Um, but it was a huge step up in the level of quality at the time. Uh, thematically, it's about. Um, it's, it's supposed to sequence uh, and take you through like a sleepless night. You know what I mean? From like the initial part where you're like tossing and turning in the bad dreams, you know, through the nightmares and, and, and the more reflective things. And then finally fade you out with a, a peaceful, good night's sleep, good dream kind of deal at the end. Um, it's it's uh, all local talent, I guess. A lot of live instrumentation at the time. I was really being influenced by guys like Beautiful Eulogy and Braille and Macklemore and Ryan Lewis kind of stuff. So a lot of live instruments, live piano, live bass, live guitar, live live uh, violin. You know, um, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, it was very orchestral, symphonic kind of. And you know, I I was just trying to tell stories. I was trying to tell more specifically how I was feeling I had been very repressed for a long time in terms of you know in, in my personal life I'm actually kind of a you know private guy um, and so I had a lot of you know anger issues and, and, and anxiety and things like this that I didn't even really know and it, well, I, you know you kind of know but you don't fully understand it yourself I was young yeah. um, and, and so this was my attempt to kind of work through a lot of that it was a very healing album for me. It was actually a very raw album for me because I had never been so vulnerable before and I was so afraid to know how people would react. Um, and luckily, uh, even though it was a little intense, people reacted well. Um, you know, and, and so that was kind of a start. It's also worth noting that um, a few of the songs on there, <coughs> particularly the song Pride, which is the first original song I ever did at a studio quality level. I had done a couple other original songs, you know, from home and that kind of thing, or, you know, I just, I just wasn't that good. But that was the first song I did that was kind of like, wow. And so that song was put together and, and you know, 
originally was produced, although we ended up taking it to another producer later on because um, my friend didn't have quite the material we needed to get it to the level we wanted it at. But Pride was, uh, you know, hugely in part made by one of my best friends, Lucas McConnell, uh, who ended up passing away um, and was the impetus for the album Makana that came after. Um, he was the guy, his dad is a very, uh, very talented musician, Mark Riley, who does a lot of worship stuff. And so he had a home studio and was the first guy who was like, dude, Thomas, you're actually really talented. You shouldn't be doing, you know, YouTube remixes of beats you ripped off the internet. You know, uh, you should be doing original. And and he was the one who encouraged me and kind of showed me how to do originals. He brought me into his dad's studio and we worked on a lot of music together. We worked on Pride and Sleepless Nights and stuff like that. And and he, he was, you know, a really good friend, a talented musician and drummer. Um, and he really helped me get to that point um, where I was like, okay, I got to do this for real. Um, and so uh, that first album has a lot of his fingerprints on it, that first EP. And then of course he ended up being you know the whole inspiration behind makana the second album that's what's up man so did you know at the time when you were creating uh the first project that it was going to be the first in a trilogy i mean did, did you have any idea that that's what was happening not at the time i it wasn't until probably like the second album where that started to sink in. But at the time, I was just so focused on... It was a very daunting task, man. I was paying my producer, for me, a very expensive, but now I realize very cheap, $35 an hour uh, to produce that album. Because um, he was young, too. He was even younger than me. He had, uh, Cameron Williamson, extremely talented. He was like 15 doing that project. And he, it was crazy, but, you know... Um, I had a summer job and, and they'll kind of pay pay for the project so for me it was just like I was just trying to finish this I want to just have a studio level project that I can then you know refer to people when people ask for my music and it doesn't have to be on like you know SoundCloud or Bandcamp or whatever but I actually have something distributed and, and it's at like a pretty good quality level so that wasn't until a little later that I thought of the uh, THH trilogy kind of thing. Gotcha. Well, so with, you know, with a trilogy, there's obviously going to be dots that's connected between them, right? Like if you are looking back at that, at that first project, um, like what's the, what's like the foundation that you can point to and say that right there is the thing that, you know, kind of carries through what we're doing on the rest of the trilogy. Sure. So I think that without, intending to that first ep was really in a lot of ways about my own mental health i mean if you in fact if you really if you go i mean check by check so the first track is sleepless night and it's about having recurring nightmares and how it's killing me that i i, I can't sleep that night because i'm having these bad dreams that are anxiety based a lot of times and fear based and, and, and i'm having a breakdown kind of the next song pride is about me dealing with pride and, and anger and, and, and controlling my emotions because 
I was unable to regulate my emotions in a healthy way. Uh, the third one, fade away, is all about anxiety attack. Um, you know, uh, the fourth song, which is an interlude, um, Nocturne, was, you know, kind of a reflective track on, on my life and memories and things I regret. The fifth track, Matches, um, was about, you know, a lot of my hurt and bitterness um, and, and trying to figure out what to do with all of that, having never been taught what do you do when you have been hurt and you have a lot of pain and it's eating you up a lot, you know, uh, how do you reconcile these sorts of things? And ultimately the answer is Jesus. So that was me trying to work through, you know, my own mental health, right? And then you, you go into Makana, the next project, where I had just lost a good friend. Um, you know, one of my best friends, in fact. And uh, trying to wrestle with that grief, you know what I mean? Um, that loss, uh, the heartbreak. I had lost, unfortunately, a fair few friends and family by that point, but this one had cut the deepest. And, and how do you deal with that sort of thing uh, at a young age? You know, this is a guy who was fresh out of college. He was right about to get married, you know, by all accounts, a great guy, a Christian, you know, spent most of his time feeding the poor and helping the homeless kind of deal, you know. Uh, and then he's killed, you know, in, in a awful, awful drunk driving accident. It's like, how do you, how do you reconcile that as a person of faith? Right? If, if this friend of mine was like a sold out, full on born again Christian and he's killed in the senseless way, um, as a Christian myself, how do I reconcile, um, this horrible thing that's happened, this painful thing? And, and, you know, again, the answer is Jesus and, and this idea that the tragedy, since we're all Christians, including Lucas, who passed away, the tragedy is for us in that we no longer get to see our, our, our friend, our brother again. But for him, he's now in paradise. He's now complete. He's now with his king. So it is not a tragedy for him. It's only for us in our pain and our grief. Um, he is only doing better now, you know, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a rough answer. It's a confusing answer. It's a painful answer, but it is a real one and it's a raw one. And, and that's kind of what I, I came to with that. And, and, you know, there are other, you know, mental health related themes throughout that album, but, but Makana, the title track being the primary focus, right? Um, and so it just, they both flow naturally into the third and final project, which is an album about mental health. It's not just me wrestling with it, although I do a lot of wrestling with it, of course, on the project, but, but it's, it's finally coming to focus. You know, in, in Hawaii, and really in America, uh, but definitely I can say for certain in Hawaii, there's a big mental health epidemic because we're not taught how to deal with these things and no, especially like in Hawaii with the Asian influence culturally, um, it was very shame based. We don't want to talk about these things. We're taught to repress it. Also as men, you're supposed to suck it up, right? And just deal with it. Um, so, so for a variety of reasons, we're a surprisingly repressed culture, Hawaii and, and America generally. Um, and so being able to kind of open up about these things uh, has become so near and dear to my heart 
because I think the only way you can get through them is to talk about them. And so that would be kind of a thread. So the impetus in, in Sleepless Night into Makana, into a full-blown, you know, uh, delve into mental health and doubts, you know, on, on Doubting Thomas. I think that would be probably the main string that connects everything. Gotcha. So, you know, I think it's pretty clear the driving force behind that second project, the McConnell project, um, as you've stated and went into detail, you know, you were dealing with a tough situation, you know, working through that. Um, my question would be between the time of releasing Sleepless Nights and then heading into McConnell, had you started thinking about the second project? Like, was there originally like a different direction that you were looking at? that got changed because of events or did this just kind of naturally occur and whenever like I, I don't know if you were already thinking about the next project or was it like oh dang this traumatic experience just happened this is how I'm gonna kind of cope with it a little bit like what, what was that transitional that season between the two um I guess kind of like yeah that's a great question man so so Okay, so let's get into that. Let's take that back a little bit. So you see, or maybe maybe they won't, but but if you were to look at my life, I am very uh, achievement-based and goals-based. You know, short-term, medium-term, long-term goals. They provide a lot of structure for my life, and it's an easy way to see your progress, right? I believe in constant improvement. Um, and so if I set a goal... You know, for my music, at, at the end of every year, or maybe the beginning of the next year, I always come up with a new list of goals for the year. And then I have longer-term goals and that sort of thing. So when I did <clears throat> Sleepless Night, I submitted it to the Hawaiian Grammy, uh, and it was rejected. Um, it made it past the first round, right? So that was cool. But when it came to the voting process, I, I, I didn't make I didn't even get nominated. So I was super bummed and and also very motivated. Um, I was like, okay, what is what do I gotta do to make an album that could win this award? Right? That was part of it. At the same time, I was looking at Rapzilla, because again, everything from Sleepless Nights got rejected from Rapzilla. I never got posted. Well, any anyway, track stars, whatever, I didn't get posted anyway. And I thought that I made some pretty decent music. So I was super, you know, frustrated, but also very motivated. So I was like, okay, so I want to make a project that could do both. I want to make a good Christian hip-hop album that could get on Rapzilla and all these major publications or whatever, you know, sites, blogs. Um, while also being balanced enough that it could win a mainstream award. And that was you know, trying to find that line. Um, so that was my initial motivations coming in. And then Lucas, you know, passed away during that plot. So you can actually notice a tonal shift. I think if you listen to the songs, which came before and after a little bit, you know, less upbeat, uh, a little more heavy, even if they're not about, you know, that subject or anything. Uh, just because my mindset was a little different. Um, and that also was part of the decision to um, name the album Makana and, and to delve a little bit more into the mental health aspect. Um, 
so that had a big influence. But so it definitely changes the trajectory of that album, I should say. Um, but what really changed my trajectory in terms of CHH album and this and that, I knew that by Makana, I knew that I wanted to do a trilogy. I knew that I, I, I liked Threes. I liked A Sense of Completion, you know, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, you know, the, the, a beginning, a middle, and an end. They wrap up really nicely. I'm, I'm a writer, uh, and I love books, and I like the three-story act kind of deal. So that was always appealing to me by that point. And, and thus far, the first two, it was a logical progression. I had an EP for the first one, and then I had a full album for the second so it was already logically progressing quite nicely. Um, and it was around that time, after I finished the album, that I started working on Doubting Thomas with The Bruise. Uh, Chaz Umomoto, who is a very talented producer um, and a good friend of mine that I've known for years, he, he's uh, you know, the founder of The Bruise. Before the Brews were a group and an entity or whatever it was just him and he was in a very successful band over here um, called Streetlight Caden um, and they were like really 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 doing well they just moved to Southern California and were really crushing it and they still are a very talented guy but he felt like God was telling him it's time to step out in faith and leave that and, and do this other thing that I have for you and, and it was a big leap of faith because the band was doing so well. Um, but Chaz, the man of faith, you know, man of God, and, and he listened. And I was the first person that he worked with after he left the band. We flew down to Kauai, where I live, and we worked on, you know, the demos and making beats for what would eventually become Down in Comet. So this is actually older than Kuliana in terms of when it started. Um, <clears throat> what happened though was a lot of things I mean a lot of things happened um, life events for both of us that delayed the project a bunch um, but also when you get into that whole thing about um, I was starting to get a little concerned about perceptions of me as a rapper as I was starting to become more known because of the Hawaii angle you know, and, and this idea of a Hawaiian rapper and, and pineapples and hula skirts and these sorts of things. You know, it sounds silly, you know, but it, but it was a thing, you know. And people I don't know, it sounds okay sometimes too, man. Sounds okay. Right, right, right. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely a good, there's a great aspect of Hawaii as well, for sure. Um, but it started becoming a thing of like, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't really make the happiest music, per se. <laughs> um I, I, my music comes from a more heavy place, a serious place. It's a kind of a self therapy. But I was making heavier music, and, and sometimes the response was starting to be, ah, uh, Thomas, what, what are you complaining about, bro? Are you in Hawaii? I had someone tell me, Thomas, you live on perpetual vacation. You're in a perpetual vacation, so I don't want to hear about, about, you know, I don't want to hear any complaints because your life is great. You know, and then I was like, whoa, 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 that is not the case. You know how many of my friends, you know, are addicted to meth and ice? 
you know, crack even, cocaine. How many friends died? Friends in jail, you know. And I'm young, especially this was a few years ago that that this was already starting to happen. You know, it's like my life is not the hardest it could be for sure, but it's a lot harder than you guys, you know, are are acting like it is. And I started to get concerned that is this going to be a thing where like my music is not taking serious because I'm from Hawaii? Is that like a? It had never even occurred to me before. Um, and or at least my more serious stuff. If I did boom bap kind of stuff or, or upbeat stuff like just hold, then yeah, everyone's all about it. So I was like, oh, I, I I have to address this now. And that's when things kind of diverged because if you'll notice, Kuliana came out before Doubting Thomas, but it's not a part of the CHH trilogy because for me, I couldn't focus on two things at once. There was a specific thing I was trying to do with the CHH trilogy and this mental health trilogy kind of thing that I couldn't focus on on Kuliana. Kuliana just needed to be about painting a small snapshot of what Hawaii was really like. The good, like taking me back, and the bad, like Kuliana, like it's on paradise, right? Like, like it, it was just a taste. I didn't get super in-depth, but just a little taste, just to kind of get people ready. So I put that out first because I was like, I need to, I need to set the record straight a little bit before I can come back to this because because if not there's definitely you know this is not going to land this this culmination this Dowling Thomas project is maybe not going to land in the way that I hope it might land because it is from the heart and it you know the mental health thing is, is a real thing regardless of where you are but if people are thinking oh dude you're sipping you know pina coladas on the beach what are you complaining about I'm not going to have any credibility and I'm not going to hopefully be able to reach the people that I might be able to reach. Uh, so I had to kind of shift things around a little bit. So that was the impetus where I was like, okay, so I need to make a separate thing outside of this trilogy to kind of address something. And that's how me and Crumb hooked up. Um, but laying that groundwork allowed me to uh, prepare for this final one. And it also helped me solidify. Because when I started realizing what I couldn't talk about in my music if people didn't take me serious, that really solidified what I wanted to talk about in my music and in this trilogy, you know? Um, so that was kind of the thing that really crystallized. If I wasn't sure before, really crystallized in my brain what I was trying to talk about. That's what's up, man. And then, you know, I think obviously you can talk about just the overall production and sound, you know, and, and the growth between the first two projects. Right. But, um, if you want to take it even a little bit further, you look at some of like the people you worked with on that second project, man, it was definitely a step up. I mean, did you know oh, yeah. that I, I'm assuming it was very, um, intentional, the, the people you sought out to work with. Um, and if you're looking at your original plans for the project, it kind of makes sense. Like I'm guessing you knew that there was a good chance that this was going to do something for you. Right, I mean, for the people who don't know, talk about some of the people you were able to work with on that second project. Sure, sure. So, so you're exactly right. That was definitely the plan. But in a funny way, that God works because you know He doesn't share His glory. So my strategy was, all right. So I see that I need big names, you know, to get me in the door because I'm sure Rapzilla and Trackstars and whoever else uh, is getting so many submissions every day. 
But they're, they're not gonna. It's gonna be hard for them to even find the time to listen to some kid they've never heard of. Thomas Sanuji or Italian. Not a very credible sounding name, you know. Um, but if I can get some bigger names, um, maybe that will open the door as kind of a cosign, and then they'll be more open to um, my solo stuff. So I, so I work with on this project um, the executive producers of Ricky Foster, and you know my sister is on there as well. Um, but the big names on there, guys like One uh, K Few, who I was able to connect with right before Lecrae signed, and it was crazy timing. One K Few, Swift, you know, formerly R Swift, Jacob Washington from the Washington Project and, and Soldiers, who's one of my favorite artists, um, Gemstones, who's like an all-time great bar for bar like i'll put that guy up against anybody bar for bar the dude's ridiculous and i've been wanting to work with him for a long time up to that point uh and then producers like um alex hitchin you know grammy winner uh and 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 dove winner you know uh done stuff for Cray and a bunch of those guys or Speckhouse again grammy nominated dove winning you know well-known christian hip-hop producer a lot of these big guns um and yet the song that ended up getting placed first on Rapzilla, finally getting their attention, was the song Makana, which is just me and my sister about our friend Lucas who passed away. So God works things in the craziest way. Um, and it, it, was, it was appropriate, and it was very uh, uh, serendipitous, or, or whatever you want to call it, that it worked out that way. Um, but, but certainly to your point, yes, it, it, um, it was very much intentional. I understood that I needed cosigns like that so that I could make an album like Makana, I mean like Kuliana, where if you look, it doesn't have any huge names. It's all my friends. You know, it's, it's Jay Crum, it's Joy Inde, it's Monte Del Kage, it's, it's Benny, it's Leal Turner, it's my sister Dandi. This is just the people in my circle. This is people that I, I admire their music and we're friendly. Um, but I don't think that I could have made that album until... I had an album like Makana with those kind of cosigns. Right, right. Well, and I mean, it, it feels like that once that project got out there and it really started catching some ears, right? And then culminating with that first Hawaiian Grammy win, it seems like since then it's kind of been a whirlwind for you, man. Like, I mean, stuff has just been happening quickly. <laughs> You're talking about Rapzilla Freshman, um, you know, a second uh, Hawaiian Grammy Award, and and then just you see the the people that you continue to work with, right? I mean, you're talking KJ52, and I mean the list just kind of goes on, right? Ruslan, and um, so I mean I think oh dude, the, the, go ahead, yeah. go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say like like I know what you're alluding to, and then by the time this interview comes out, it'll be fine. We can say, dude, the track list on Doubting Thomas is crazy i mean i mean like if you if you go down the list again you know we got alex kitchen back on there we got poetics on there they both co-produced some tracks um Imur garza who's like you know the man in hawaii like one of the you know best producers out here he's incredible uh kolomona cool you know also amazing you know myself in the bruise and then and then you have you know from the artist side of things you've got kj52 you've got ruslan you've got Joey Vantes, you've got Paris Kariz, you know, you have coming from P.O.D., which it's hard for me to even wrap my brain around. Right. But, you know, like, like it's a dream come true, you know, uh, and 
and it's by the grace of God that these things have been able to happen but definitely that progression you know getting to work with a new tier of artists um, is very special uh, and, and it's something that I think makes me very excited for this project um, I think people are going to be kind of like whoa at cameos of, of who pops up on this album it's going to be pretty cool yeah man and I think um, you know where, where I was going was I think you've you know raised that bar to where you're going to have to keep challenging yourself to to continue to to progress you know um, and obviously I'd love to jump into some of that stuff but we're not going to because I'm going to tell the people right now you know I'm not going to give them any early stuff but what I will say is they need to tune into 520clip.com because at the yeah. end of November We've got a written article coming that we are specifically talking about what's going into this third project, Doubting Thomas. Uh, you know, the details of it as far as songs and who's on it, but also um, some other very interesting um, aspects that maybe people don't always think about if they're just listening to music, right? So make sure you guys are following us um 520clet.com or if you want to be on social media it's at 520chh but be watching for the article because it's going to have stuff in there that you guys are want to you're going to want to know i mean that's all i can say like me and thomas have already been talking we've got it started and rolling um however i'm going to give you a chance right now though my friend to tell them why between now and the time that the project releases, why do they need to go back and listen to that back catalog if they haven't? And what is going to drive them to want to make sure they go out and pre-save and download and all that good stuff with the new album when it drops? Sure. So, aside from the fact that I think they're not too shabby and they hold up well, <laughs> um, there are callbacks on this final album to the previous two. Uh, if I'll give you a big hint, a big pro tip, right before you listen to the new project, Darling Thomas, right, there's a, a, my first track ever produced by the Bruiser. first collaboration was the final track on Makana, which is Make America Hate Again. And there's a major callback on the first track of Darling Thomas with the last track of Makana. And in fact, you could listen to them from the beginning of Makana through the end and go straight into Doubting Thomas to emphasize that it is part of that trilogy. It does flow and it goes completely into it. Um, and also there'll be other recurring themes, references, you know, some throwbacks and that sort of stuff um, that you'll just pick up if you listen to the previous tracks and you're refreshed on the previous project, you're refreshed on them a little more. Some stuff might kind of go over your head a little bit. Um, and I would say there's a lot of great reasons to pre-order. Um, we're actually going to be giving away some prizes, uh, which you can go over to my uh, social media page at Thomas Lianucci on Instagram or at Thomas Lianucci underscore on Twitter. And I'll be going into more detail about that. We're going to do some prizes, some competitions if you pre-order the album, pre-save it, you know. Um, but also, sincerely, guys, I think it's, I think it's something special. We knew it was my last CHH album, so we wanted to do it big. We wanted to go all the way. Like I said, tons of big names. Ruslan, KJ52, Paris Careers, Joey Vantes, Sonny from POD, uh, producers like Poetics, Moore Garza, 
Grammy winner Alex Hitchens, you know, myself and the Bruce, we really went all in. We're talking about some things that are very personal, but very relatable, you know, um, the feelings of doubt and frustration and despair that we all struggle with. But I think particularly during the uh, lockdown, you know, and the, the whole pandemic situation, I think are things that may really minister to you if you are going through those things. Um, or perhaps may minister to a friend. So I strongly encourage you to go pre-save, pre-order it, get ready for some amazing music. It drops in December. Um, and yeah, it's going to be lit. Yeah, man. And I know you said it there, man, but I want you to say it one more time in case they missed it. Uh, tell them again where they follow you, where do they get the music, all that good stuff. Sure. So my name is Thomas Iannucci, I-A-N-N-U-C-C-I. It's very Italian. <laughs> uh, and you can find me if you look that up on uh, Facebook uh, or Apple Music, Spotify, wherever music is streamed or sold. If you want to follow me on Instagram, again, it's at Thomas Iannucci or on Twitter at Thomas Iannucci underscore because some other Thomas Iannucci has the regular name. Please, sir, he's an Italian guy, I'm pretty sure. Por favore, signore. Please give me that username. <laughs> it would make life so much more convenient. But until then, <laughs> keep that underscore for Twitter. Um, and yeah, I'd really appreciate the follow. Let me know what you thought of this interview. If you've heard the music, let me know what you think. Uh, I always am interested in, in feedback. Yeah, definitely, guys. And if you want to weigh in, um, man, there's a really cool way to do it. You guys can go to Anchor. It's anchor.fm slash 520-collective. And you can actually leave us voicemails that we can include in future podcasts. And we'd love to hear what you have to say about, you know, your thoughts on the previous projects from thomas you know what you're excited about for this new one coming out and we're going to see how we can you know use those in unique ways man so make sure you roll out or even if you just hit up the website you check out the you know articles that are posted on there leave comments guys get involved in there you know but you know if nothing else go to social media let thomas know you appreciate what he does and the hard work that he puts in man because it's not easy being I appreciate that. A part of this life, you know, so for sure, man, for That's sure. Um, same, same to let Eric and uh, and the Five Twenty Gang know. I'm sure they appreciate all your support, but I'll say it, and they're too nice to. They do a lot of work in this community, um, putting on a lot of up and coming artists. They're some of the most kind, humble, talented people you ever meet. So, yep, keep tuning in, keep supporting them because they really deserve it. Oh man, we appreciate that for sure, Thomas. Well, dude. I can tell you, man, I'm, I'm looking forward not only getting this next article out and, and diving into the details of the album, but, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited, dude. You're, you're one of the guys you know. Like, we've, we've built a true friendship. Um, yep, I feel yep, like over yep. the last we couple of years, now. man. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm excited to see what God continues to do with you, not only in this project, but the stuff that's to come, man. So um, Thank you, man. You know, I feel like it won't be the last time that I get you on the Beyond the DMs podcast, man. So I'll be looking for the next time. You know what I'm saying? So. Oh yeah. But I'm dude, down whenever, bro. We'll make a time, and I'll come interview you, man. I'm serious. Let's let's get, do it, man. Get to know the man behind it. the mic. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can do it, man. I don't know how interesting it is, yeah. but but we'll try it. I think it'd be cool. 
so yeah man yeah man so now nah, man i appreciate the time that you've given uh to this podcast thomas i know you're you're busy you're getting uh not only ready for a project man but congrats you you are getting ready for a wedding as well um April's going to make a honest man out of you, it sounds like. so. Oh, finally, finally. <laughs> it's about time, man. It's about time. I know. I know. I'm so excited, man. That is good. Like the Bible says, you find a wife, find a good thing, so I'm blessed. Yeah, man. Maybe maybe she'll get you out out of that uh, out of that show a little bit, man. Maybe stop being so humble and start you know, <laughs> uh, talking about some of these things you've accomplished. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, man, I let my actions speak for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what's up, man. That's what's up. Well, man, I appreciate it again. Guys, I thank you for listening to this episode. Again, it is Beyond the DMs here on 520 Collective. Let's go.